DLC. Yeah, there it is. When that robot voice comes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Woo! Especially if you're one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Or hey, maybe you're just trying to survive the holidays. Maybe you're getting into that holiday spirit. Maybe you're putting the lights up right now with us in your ear holes. Well, we're going to be there for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com slash DLC pod. They bring the show to you. Their support, their generosity, their belief in what we're doing here means that we get to keep making episodes and we are grateful in exchange they get some cool stuff including ad free versions of the show video versions of the show on demand and a veritable bevy of bonus content including feeling this two seasons of feeling this with christian spicer and alex solman talking about the feelings behind video games you get the audio podcast version of the dlc book club where lana bashinsky and myself are talking about the Malazan Book of the Fallen. We just had this awesome episode, our second interview with the author himself, Stephen Erickson. So good, so awesome. Also, ladies and gentlemen, you get the Wednesday paid DLC program, which is an interactive back and forth between patrons. A prompt goes up every week on the Patreon. It's great fun. But that's not all. No, 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 that's not all. We've got so much bonus content coming at you. Over the holidays, you heard us talking to a, an NVIDIA uh, an evangelist a couple of weeks ago. Christian just had an incredible interview this week talking about the state of the industry with a, who was that Christian that you talked to? Well, uh, head of Ascendant Studios. It That's went out right. first to patrons, and then it always uh, it went out. That one actually went out to the main feed as well, but first to patrons. And this week also, um, we are going to be doing a. Um, did you ask me who or what? I was asking you who. I was going to tell the folks oh, about Brett the Robbins. Alan Wake Brett 2, Robbins. The Alan Wake Two spoiler chat. Yes, Brett Robbins is the head of. Uh, I thought you asked yeah. said what, and I was like, uh, we talked about okay. yeah, Brett Robbins. That's yes. Right. Yes. The point being, ladies and gentlemen, you get all that extra content first. You get it best if you're a patron at patreon.com slash DLC pod. But this show, the main show, it's DLC. It's the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host, slash nemesis the guy that had so much tofurky this weekend that he's still high on trip tofu cane fame <laughs> trip tofu fame is what i said <laughs> mr christian spicer hello christian hello jeff hello everybody i have one uh wishbone to pick Uh-oh. and Anthony Taramina and I had agreed contractually that he was going to mention my name uh, 42 times in last week's episode. And by my count, he only did 38. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed. 
Uh, I'm disappointed. 42 is, is uh, you know, a uh, high bar. And I, I appreciated him even attempting that, you know? <laughs> Every contract, I'm like, Jackie Robinson's number, make it be so. And <laughs> really? That's, that's, that's you part go of with? my... I think, mm-hmm. that, I think that's a good 42 poll. But mine is the answer to the question of life, the universe, and everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Who, um, what was Jackie Robinson's number? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm just not a baseball guy. That's all that is. Um, we have an awesome show for you, ladies and gentlemen. Christian and I... We'll continue this adorable tete-a-tete that we've entered into already, <laughs> where he barely listens to me and I, in turn, ignore him. It's a, Wait, did you, it's a did you introduce me? Uh, oh, Brett Robbins. <laughs> a, Brett Robbins from Ascended Studios. <laughs> it's 10 years of chemistry that we've established, ladies and gentlemen. You're hearing it in real time. Uh, but we have, luckily for us, luckily for you, we have an awesome guest to hang out with us. Talk about, we got games galore. We got so much to get to. Uh, we have an awesome guest. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, I'm excited because once again, DLC stands for dedicated to eliminating cancer. Because we have the head of gaming and streaming from Game On Cancer, our friend Shane Bailey is back with us. Hello, Shane. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Christian. Thanks so much for having me. I must say from the top, Jeff, that uh, every episode, I always wonder, what would the show be like if you just maintained the same energy from the first like 20 seconds of the show throughout the entire show? (laughs) Just that same volume. uh, I think that would be a real treat. Well, the games (laughs) that I've been playing this week, I had a chance to try. (laughs) Think about In this rounds of layoffs, (laughs) man. Embracer Group has eliminated entire studios. <laughs> yeah, just that. We're hot. talking about more layoffs this week. Woo! That's it. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be back. Funnily enough, my first episode, I think like two years to the day almost. It really? was right after Thanksgiving because I remember uh, your son described you as a hot bowl of chicken. Uh, Jeff, that's um, that was the one of the opening. I was uh, that always stuck with me. And now I'm here thinking, wow, we're just right after the, the Thanksgiving holiday. There you well, go. Uh, you know, he still calls me that to this day. No, I, I barely remember that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, it, you know, it, it's um, it's a great time. Uh, if you're in America, we just came made it through our our Thanksgiving celebrations, and it's a great time to be thankful. And I know that you have something uh, to be thankful for. Uh, earlier this year, Game on Cancer hit a pretty big milestone. That's it. Yeah. So uh, some might remember two years ago when I I joined the team at Cure Cancer Australia to lead their Game on Cancer initiative that we uh, had raised at, at that point about a quarter of a million, I think close to three hundred thousand dollars and earlier this year in october we surpassed one million dollars raised for groundbreaking cancer research so yeah almost awesome. three quarters of a million dollars in approximately two years so the enthusiasm the passion from the gaming industry to support our cause has just been absolutely phenomenal um we've had some amazing new ambassadors join the program as well just like jeff so some incredible creators from Australia, like I Am Four from Grace, Miss Molly Makes, and Fit for Purpose. And recently, uh, Skill Up joined the team as well. He uh, he's now one of our ambassadors. And Game on Cancer is going from strength to strength. So I'm so happy to be back two years later and celebrate that amazing milestone with both of you. Well, it's it's awesome. Congratulations! It's it's a huge achievement, and it's uh, it's a great cause, and it's awesome to see the gaming hobby aligned on uh, on this great cause and and helping out 
in a really novel way. I, I mean, I love what what how how those dollars are being activated and actually getting young, uh, you know, uh, new minds onto this problem. It's a, such a cool way to uh, to address the this thing that we all want to see eradicated in our lifetime. Yeah, we're just coming off the back of our best year, actually, as, as Cure Cancer in our 50 plus year history. And thankfully, because of the generosity of the community, we're funding more cancer researchers than we ever have before. So um, hopefully more ideas can be kickstarted to, like you said, cure this terrible disease. It's awesome. Well, we're glad to have you back. And uh, this, uh, this little ball of chicken is going to get the show started the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's also where you can reach us for any reason, any reason whatsoever. We love hearing from you. dlcfeedback at gmail.com. But you can also reach out and talk to the community, be part of the folks discussing games and all sorts of other stuff in our Discord, which is 5x5DLC on Discord. Uh, really, really great group of folks over there. I urge you to take part. Uh, but Shane, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Yeah, a bit of a quieter week this week in the world of video games, but uh, the one that jumped out to me that you had listed here, Jeff, was the upcoming Wonder Woman game, Apparently, definitely not being a live service game. This is, of course, off the back of the news last week that Warner Brothers CEO noted that they were shifting all of their focus in the AAA space to live service. And I think a lot of us assumed that Wonder Woman would fall into that basket as well, uh, but apparently not. So, yeah, would love to discuss that one. Interesting about this story, you know, how much of a uh, a relief this this is to so many people. I think live service games have gotten... Uh, have have become a bit of a uh, you know a a not preferred way of playing games for many folks, and uh, it's interesting that you know people were really worried that this was going to be another one of those uh, live service games that they were going to you know have uh, lots of microtransactions. It was going to be a, a churn kind of game, uh, and it turns out uh, Monolith and. Warner Brothers both came out and said definitively, nope, we're not going to be doing that for this Wonder Woman game. This will be a single player open world adventure game starring Wonder Woman. Um, Obviously, you know, Suicide Squad killed the Justice League is another big DC superhero game on the horizon that will be live service. We even uh, even despite the, the lengthy delay that it got from this year into February next year. We just got a new trailer recently uh, showcasing the game, and it looks like um, very similar to the first time we saw it. it. It does seem like the game is still on track to deliver the kind of experience, the kind of uh, live service experience that they've promised from the start. So uh, that game is that, but it looks like this Wonder Woman game is going to be uh, featuring one of my fa- – I think, Christian, you, you are, and I agree on this – one of our favorite systems in a game that has actually been – been uh, patented and so other games have not been able to use the nemesis system 
But not Wonder Woman for podcasts, by the way, like our nemesis yeah. system here, Jeff, between you and I is right. We Still own ins- that podcast patent. It's yeah. like different than the video game one. Yeah. yeah. I you think know it how actually we... predates monoliths. Thank you, Shane. We should be contacting our lawyers. We have lawyers, right, Christian? I uh, used to be. We no longer. Uh, former lawyers. <laughs> oh, we have our former lawyers. Uh, but you know that we have it completely uh, patented, uh, Shane, because we put it in an envelope and mailed it to ourselves. Yes. Is, yeah. I'm told mm-hmm. is a ironclad, uh, undisputable, uh, we own it. You know, A peek behind the curtain for how this show runs. At the end of each show, Jeff does kill me. And then each week I come back with a slightly like a mustache, yeah. uh, eye patch. But I just look a little different. He remembers yeah. all of it. Yeah, <laughs> different strengths and weaknesses now. Yeah, and yeah. someday I will get to the top of the Spicer Pyramid and <laughs> defeat all of the Spicers. Uh, anyway, I, I'm very excited about uh, the fact that we're going to get a non Lord of the Rings game with the Nemesis system. I think that's pretty cool, and I think that could be a really awesome way to engage with the Wonder Woman's you know Rogues Gallery. But uh, Shane. You introduced this as your story of the week. I'm curious, are you just excited for a Wonder Woman game or do you also have some distaste for live service games? I think I am excited for what Monolith can create with this one, but I think their claim that it is going to be a single player game is about as ironclad as that envelope that you just described, Jeff, <laughs> because I think I would I would rather believe the word of the CEO uh, other than uh, you know a PR spokesperson straight out of Monolith. And don't forget that Monolith's last game, Shadow of War from 2017, was riddled with microtransactions um, as at the at the launch of the game, and yeah. was met with very harsh criticism. So, given Warner Brothers' track record recently, particularly with Gotham Knights, and now I suppose the the great skepticism going into Suicide Squad, that for me this is a see it before I believe it situation. So I will, of course, hold judgment until the game is out. Um, I believe completely that Monolith have it in them to create an amazing game. I just hope that whatever the tact might be regarding live service elements, that it doesn't impact the overall quality of the experience. Yeah. I mean, I think that the the assumption that we're we're having this conversation based on is that live service is a negative thing. And I don't know if that's necessarily always the case, right? I, I think it has become sort of – it has taken on negative connotations because of that squeeze every dollar out of the end user thing that is the worst side of, of, of live service. But I think there's plenty of live service features of a live service game that I like, right? I like the fact that I can – as we say on the show, get married to a game that I can really invest in a game and there's going to be new content coming out for it. There's going to be seasons or there's going to be new things to look forward to all the time. It's not a game that I buy, play, and it's done, right? It, it, it continues, that people are working on it. I, I don't think it's necessarily always a negative. Do, do you, Shane? No, I don't. And I suppose this is a, a the example I will cite is that before my life at Cure Cancer, I worked at Ubisoft Australia. The main title I worked on was was Rainbow Six Siege, a game that is about to go into its ninth year on digital and physical shelves. And that is sustained through what I would describe as a mostly very positive 
live yeah. service strategy where there are no pay to win mechanics. It is all, uh, you know, that game survives and thrives, I would even say, on cosmetic items being sold to right. its, uh, you know, its enduring player base now as well. And thankfully, anyone can jump in. There is no pressure to buy those cosmetic items and they can enjoy, you know, updates every three months with new maps new operators new abilities completely uh, reworked features as well and that's not something we really would have seen in the past without you know i suppose this this live service world that we that we now live in i think where a lot of the skepticism comes in is that i, I really think we there are few and far between are the, are the great examples of how single player games have really leveraged live service well um, and I'll then also cite another Ubisoft example, and that is Assassin's Creed, particularly Odyssey and Valhalla, you know, having now used a lot of the experience boosts to uh, monetize, uh, you know, their single player campaigns. So I think um, I'm not completely closed off to live service elements adding uh, life and value to a single player experience. I just think that we're, we're yet to see uh, someone really nail it in a way that yeah. uh, really benefits the player base. Yeah. I think that's accurate. Christian, I'm curious what when you hear live service game in in this uh, end of 2023 that we happen to be in, uh do you immediately get a negative connotation in your mind? I do, and I I think it's because it's really the publisher that uses that term. It is put on it by people that are going to be playing the game as service or live service. When a, when a developer or publisher announces the game, they don't announce it as a game as service game or a live right. service game. They use some other, you know, mark for marketing terms uh, or whatever it is. And it's slowly in the trailer, like, here's the battle pass, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, here, here's the Mortal Kombat, like the seasonal fatalities, um, you know, or whatever that release schedule is going to be. And I think Shane said it well, I think rarely are these systems designed to enhance the player experience and more often they are designed to enhance squeezing the stone um, for any revenue from whales that are interested. It, there are examples. I think Rainbow Six Siege is a great example of a game that has done things well. But more often than not, they feel like really trying to juice the stone and get as much out of something without being so offensive that people revolt and another yeah this week sorry ubisoft example was the full screen ad pop-up in the middle of a game for another game microsoft had the full screen ad dashboard ad for modern warfare 3 and while those aren't games of service ideas it's bad i mean oh you can just ignore it you can turn it off it's not that big of a deal i agree it's not but it's also not an ad that is on a FIFA banner in a soccer game where they actually exist in the real world. It's like, is it hard for me to throw away my junk mail that comes in my actual mailbox? No. Would I prefer it if I never got it? Yes, I definitely would. And games more and more, I feel like, are trying to push into that junk mail uh, and see how annoyed we get <laughs> yeah. with all the stuff. So this this is an example of I am I am on Shane's side of the fence of I hear you. Warner Brothers, and your track record says otherwise. <laughs> I mean, I, I think of, uh, you know, I'm certainly not the most avid player of, of these kinds of games, but I've certainly enjoyed Destiny 2, uh, Diablo 4. You know, there there are games that I feel like, man, I, I dig the fact that there's a new season coming for Diablo 4. I'm going to pop back in. There's uh, new content for Destiny. I'm going to pop back in. I I don't necessarily think it's immediately a negative that these games are are live service or 
you know, whatever euphemism we want to use for that. But it, I do think that if you have to have a statement saying our game is not this thing that we make and everybody goes, Woo, we've good. We were worried about that. Maybe we take a long, hard look in the mirror about the kinds of things we're making. Because if that's the reality, if you got to say, we're not making another of the kinds of games we make, and people are like, oh, thank goodness. That's I think, it's a bad sign, I, I would say. It's going to be really interesting to see the first trailers and like Vidox for Wonder Woman when they're released. Because I think the the number of single player slash story mentions per minute in that trailer will be very high. It is a single player experience as single player as single players. Like that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for this wonder woman game. I hope it's awesome. Uh, I'm excited for the nemesis system. I love the nemesis system. I wish more games could just use it. Uh, But uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's, It's, um, you know, we'll probably hear more about this game in 2024 at some point. Um, but, uh, I think it's, I think it's interesting where they're like, you know, that, that game that we delayed that we're hoping sells millions of copies. It's nothing like that. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's nothing like that one that still hasn't come out that we're hoping is a tentpole for our company. Anywho, uh, interesting story. Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Um, I, I'm not going to do this justice. I think it is a delicate justice item. League. Justice Sorry. League, kill them. I will kill them. Um, <laughs> and it's not out yet, so there's time. But we are getting rumors for the next Call of Duty. The current Call of Duty is out. It was allegedly rushed. It was began as expansion content for the last Call of Duty, but they said, no, we're going to do an actual another Call of Duty. Um, blah, blah, blah. And so now we're getting this idea of um, the, what next year's Call of Duty is going to be allegedly and it Treyarch's is the next game yeah yes it is the, the the back to black ops because what else could it be you can only go modern so yeah. many times There's only two um, options now there's only two options other is it black ops or is it modern what, mm-hmm. what kind of dress do you have is it the new black ops or, or is it orange? <laughs> i don't know sorry and this one is going to be black ops in the gulf war and call of duty hasn't necessarily handled stuff well. Um, and I'm old enough to remember the Gulf War. Well, isn't it awful that we're now old enough to have a war that we lived through that it's being mined for video game content? That's not it, good. It, That's not it, good. It, it, I don't remember how, you know, I don't know what it was like for my dad. Like my, my dad was a Navy guy, blah, blah, blah. We don't need to get into that. But I, you know, I, I, he went through a similar experience and now it's happening. And I, you know, uh, again, I'm not going to do this justice. I don't have the answer. But the Gulf War, there were some preconceived notions, uh, <laughs> some things yeah. that were said that maybe didn't pan out. And I don't know if I trust Call of Duty to be the franchise that's like giving <laughs> it the the Black Ops, PsyOps treatment of it of being like, yo, we got this. <laughs> Call of Duty often known for its nuanced uh touch you know it's uh it's it's insightful nuanced uh political takes um not not that game I, yeah it, it does seem um i don't know i is it is it weird for us just because we know it like they did vietnam it's not like that war was 
you know? I, I, yes, it is weird because I know it. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. And that's, again, why well, I said I'm not going to do this story justice. I can't, you know, f- the nuance is missing. But yes, it is It is different for me because I know it. And it was not handled well then. And I, uh, Call of Duty has a reputation for not handling delicate subject matter well. Uh, I, I'm pressing X for concern is what I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, uh, I don't know if you're a Call of Duty guy, but um, you know th- this one at least is uh, has been in development for a while. Uh, it's Treyarch again, back to Treyarch instead of Infinity Ward, and this one was never an expansion. So one uh, one assumes that the reason we're even hearing leaks about the next Call of Duty now is because they want to assure people who are dissatisfied with the current Call of Duty that it is in good hands and there will be a good installment next year. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this franchise, if this excites you. What do you think about Gulf War Black Ops in 2024? Yeah, I think off the back of Modern Warfare 3 this year that this is probably... I would say welcome news to the Call of Duty fan base, uh, of which I'm not of that community, I will say. It's been a long time since I've enjoyed a Call of Duty game. I look forward to the day that I can revisit um, and uh, I suppose catch up on the series once a lot of these drop into Game Pass, is my assumption, over the next few months. Um, But I think what's most exciting is the fact that, yeah, you know, there were those reports of Modern Warfare 3 being uh, finished on an 18-month dev cycle by Sledgehammer. And we assume that the development of this game coming in 2024 began after Black Ops Cold War released in 2020. And so a four-year dev cycle, that seems more than what Infinity Ward, Treyarch, and Sledgehammer are used to. So there's some reason to be hopeful for this game. Um, I think they know they have to knock it out of the park after Modern Warfare 3 and, and its critical uh, and community reception. So, yeah, I'm, I'm most interested to see how they handle this. I expect zero nuance around its story and the fact that it, it was only a few decades ago. Um, but, hey, I, I'm, hopefully I'm proven wrong. Who knows? <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. I think I uh, inadvertently credited Infinity Ward with Modern Warfare 3, which is, you're right, it's Sledgehammer uh, who developed uh, Modern Warfare 3. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, it's going to be interesting. I I don't know what setting it in the 90s in the Gulf War does. I guess uh, folks uh, might be excited to revisit history that is more recent. Certainly means that there's not going to be futuristic stuff in it, right? It means you're not going to have your crazy, uh, your crazy, uh, you know, future tech that you get in some of these installments. Um, and maybe that's welcome for folks. I, I, I am so disconnected from the Call of Duty community at this point that I, I don't even know what people are excited about uh, with that franchise. But I do think it's interesting. I do think it's interesting. I, I, I'm curious for the folks who, are, and this is for our audience and for those folks who are still connected with it, is it made better by being attached to a real thing? You know, there yeah. was that future one that I thought was one of the best campaigns. The zero gravity moment was awesome and super fun. And I, I really enjoyed that campaign, but it did not perform well at the time. And I wonder if having it attached to a real world war in some form or fashion makes it more appealing versus just, you know, the James Bond film approach where it's Russia's a bad guy or like this is coming out but it's not like 
James Bond is actually interfering with this real world thing that happened would it be better if it was just totally unattached to those things i i don't know it seems like the folks at activision thinks it it is made stronger by having it connected but i feel like the franchise has jumped the shark so many times that yeah you know i don't know what they gain but i don't know i think there's an element of as long as it's relatable right so i think even just something set Modern day Earth doesn't have to be tied specifically to a real world war. Um, could be interesting. I think it's part of the reason why you know, a lot of superhero films, for example, are, are quite not relatable. But you know, we can we, we understand what it would mean for aliens to attack New York, right? Uh, right. And for superheroes to rise up and, and defend us. So uh, I think that's why there's that uh, an ability for the audience to, to connect, as opposed to yeah, something like you described, Christian, like infinite warfare, where we we really can't comprehend what it would mean for warfare to be happening in outer space right now between warring factions on earth yeah well i just hope they get you know call of duty has the money i hope they pony up the dollars needed to get dana carvey to play george w bush or george h w bush i should say the 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 father yeah yeah wouldn't it be prudent at this juncture right yeah that that one Mm mm-hmm I'm old uh, enough to remember, Jeff. I'm old, old enough, enough to remember. To remember. I, hey, I was watching <laughs> on a 13-inch tube television set in my bedroom in 19, what, 91, whatever it was, when uh, Bernard Shaw on CNN was like, we are live from Baghdad. Here's the tracer fire. And I remember watching it, man, because I'm old. Um, so I wonder if they'll recreate that moment for me on my little tube television. Um all right. One of the things we did not mention when we were talking about the Wonder Woman game, uh, I was uh, I, I didn't sufficiently set up the story. Uh, the fact that we were even talking about it being a live service game came from the fact that eagle-eyed uh, viewers of the LinkedIn page uh, for the job listings for this Wonder Woman game found a listing that said it, it was they were trying to find someone to quote maintain a live software product or game. So that's how these things get started. And I bring that up to tell you that my story of the week also came from job listings. Uh there was a new job list, well, a a person who already has the job updated their LinkedIn page uh, and one Randall Reese, uh, who is a developer at Gearbox, uh, or he worked at Gearbox, I should say, Randall Reese, uh, listed a, uh, a number of things that he has worked on in the past, including titles like Tiny Tina's Wonderlands for Gearbox, Elder Scrolls Online, and more. And then also uh, that uh, he worked on Borderlands 4, and Tiny Tina's Wonderlands 2. The, to which people to which Borderlands people went, for a couple of years is what he <laughs> meant. And T-O-O. also Tiny Tina's Wonderland. Tiny Tina's Wonderland, yeah. Wonderland 2. Yeah. Uh, you know, T-O-O. It's, yeah, it's yeah. like Teen Wolf 2, you know? <laughs> anyway, uh, folks looked at that and went, hey, those are games that haven't been announced. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when... These kinds of errors happen when something like what Christian described is I was saying I worked for that and also on that one. Then, uh, you know, usually they'll just be taken down. In this case, it was 
changed so that uh, it was it read unannounced sequel Unreal Engine Four, which made people go, "Well, that pretty much just confirmed those are happening." And uh, the story comes with a grain of salt, right? We don't know, uh, but I think it's interesting enough to talk about uh, a Borderlands Two and a Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. No other way. Excuse me, Borderlands Four <laughs> ten, uh, sequels to to those franchises. Uh, Borderlands, of course, uh, been a little longer since we've had that. Tiny Tina's just came out last year. I think that game was really, really fun, and I hope it gets a sequel. But I'm curious what you fellas think because um, I find myself considering what a Borderlands sequel, in my best hope, would be. Now, side note, caveat, sidebar. I think there's a pretty good bet there's going to be a Borderlands sequel because there's a Borderlands movie coming out. And I think they're hoping that that big budget Borderlands movie starring uh, big name people and directed by a big name dude, all of whose names are out of my head right now, but you know, you can Google it. Um, uh, Eli Eli Roth, right? Isn't he directing it? Um, He was for a bit and then reshoots by somebody else or somebody. And then Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. Blanchett's definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, point point being, uh, I'm sure they're expecting the profile of Borderlands to raise for this big mainstream film. And so it makes, uh, you know, I would guess that they're not going to let that come out and not have a game uh, around the same time or in the same general window. So, you know, these aren't shocking revelations, but I also find myself thinking about what I would want out of a Borderlands sequel if I could have anything. And I don't know what that would be at this point, uh, other than just like a solid, fun Borderlands game. But it's like, okay, we've had those. What else? And I'm curious, Shane, if you have answers. Did are you excited to hear that these franchises are continuing? And do you have do you have a best case scenario of what they would be if this is real? Yeah, I think to our earlier discussion around Wonder Woman, right, Jeff, you noted that live service is definitely not necessarily a bad thing. And so my guess would be, like every publisher in the industry right now, that uh, Gearbox is really wanting to create experiences that can live long and prosper into into the future uh, with you know seasonal updates and that sort of thing. I think co-op experiences like Destiny, for instance, like The Division not too long ago, they lend themselves really well to to uh, having these longer roadmaps of you know constantly updated content. Um, you know, you're playing characters that you're obviously upgrading and leveling up over a long period of time. So that makes perfect sense. Um, I just hope that they can meet the the quality bar that they've established in the past, right? I think, you know, no one's really hating on Borderlands 3 or uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, but uh, they're definitely not hitting at the same level that the Borderlands franchise has when it first released and particularly with Borderlands 2 as well. So um, I hate to be the Debbie Downer. My main concern is that uh, Gearbox was acquired by Embracer Group, not uh, about two and a bit years ago, and we know how that company has has operated and how that has affected their studios as well. So um, I am I, I'm really concerned for you know Gearbox's uh, I suppose current makeup and their ability to to turn out the game that they really want to make here. So um, I'm I, my all all appendages are crossed for them uh, in trying in <laughs> delivering these um in delivering these sequels if all they're appendages. true. Well, it looks like they are so. Yeah, all appendages crossed. Uh, yeah, there was rumor recently that uh, Embracer was considering selling off 
the Borderlands IP to somebody else. Uh, and all of the Gearbox. Do. Like September was, I was just looking that up too. It's like September, there were rumors that Embracer was going to get rid of Gearbox altogether. Strip it for parts. Like it was some sort of, oh, I don't know, box of gears. Yeah. Some might say it's a tiny Tina's Wonderland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that joke lives on the border. <laughs> anyway, Christian, what do you uh, – I, I know that you have been critical in the past of Borderlands kind of, uh, you know, tone. Um, is there a – I mean, I I love Tiny Tia's Wonderland. I thought that game was a home run. It was so fun. It, it was this mashup of, like, goofy Dungeons & Dragons jokes and really solid first-person shooting with some fun weapons and and cool environments. I thought that game was was barrels of fun. I'm, I have no worries about a sequel to that game because they can write more jokes and they can ha- come up with wackier D&D scenarios. I- I'm into it. Borderlands feels to me like the the bigger question mark, even though it's the more established franchise. And I'm wondering if you have a best case scenario for what a, a new Borderlands game would be. I am not the Borderlands lore person right now. Uh, so I'm sure they've, I, I know they've gone to the moon and they've gone to space and they've gone other places. But I think, and they have Tiny Tina's, which is also kind of Borderlands, but fantasy. But I, right. I, I do think that Mad Max-esque approach to Borderlands, somehow I think it needs a a, a change. And not like baby with the bathwater, get rid of everything that they've done. And that's why I'm, I'm acknowledging the things they have done while also owning up to the fact that I don't know everything they've done. But predominantly when I think the image that most people have of the borderlands franchise is that kind of mad max things cobbled together yes there are these big beasts but dirty dusty you're getting these guns outposts rebels all of that kind of stuff and they've done some stuff in cities as well but i think doing one of those in a big way that makes it feel fresh and new while still having that really fun loot mechanic of getting a bigger gun getting wild and insane bigger guns (laughs) yes yes and always always looting always trying new things always you know respecting your character number go up all of that stuff that it does really really well but then i think most importantly it needs to age the humor up or it needs to reevaluate the humor you know i'm not going to sit here and say the jokes i told in 2010 stand the test of time today and there's a reason why i don't still tell them today and i think borderlands 3 the biggest miss for me is that it was still doing the same jokes from borderlands one and two and we've moved on and i'm not shaming borderlands one or two or saying that those games shouldn't be out and available but i think we grow up and tastes change and i think borderlands four needs to find a new way to be funny than what it was doing before and find a way to be relevant again because i don't think they can keep doing the same humor and hit with the same relevancy because we've lived in you know, the idea of something being a Marvel, I'm using quotes, movie, is a negative now, right? That Marvel dialogue. When it started, it was awesome. It was celebrated because everything else was dour and serious. And it was so fun to have things be self-referential. And the same way I think Marvel needs to reevaluate itself some in, in what that is. Borderlands has become such a trope for itself that I think to have that resurgence in pop culture, it needs to define what the next 10 years is going to be because Borderlands 1 did that. I mean, it defined 
that type of humor, self-referential game. And so many other people ape from it over the years that now they have to find a way to do the next thing and not continue to do what they've been doing, which is hard. Yeah. Well, interesting if these are happening. I wonder if we'll hear about them. Uh, certainly the Tiny Tina's game, um, right on the heels of the first one, maybe is a little farther off. Uh, theoretically, a Borderlands game, maybe they've been working on longer because there's been a longer stretch without one. And certainly this movie is, is I think, intended to come out in 2024. So maybe we'll hear, you know, maybe we'll be a, a Borderlands assance in the in their next calendar year we'll find out but I, i'm curious I, i'm curious how this all work and and shane i think your your fears about embracer group are are found well founded as well and and we'll see how that if anything uh affects things all right well let's uh talk about the games that we have been playing but first we're going to take a quick break for a sponsor all right let's check in with our playlists in a segment we call, shockingly enough, The Playlist. Shane Bailey, what have you been playing recently? Yeah, an interesting assortment, this one. Uh, I'll start with the, the one at the very top of that list, and that is Uncharted Lost Legacy. Uh, I love the Uncharted series. Uncharted 4 is my favorite out of the franchise. I just never got around to playing Lost Legacy. This is the 2017 spin-off of sorts starring Chloe Frazier and Nadine Ross. And uh, I, uh, my, my partner recently got a PlayStation 5 and it now lives in my home, which is really exciting. So I'm going to get going to get to play all these PlayStation games I've missed out on the last couple of years. And this was a, a top of my list. So I dove into this experience, understanding that it was much shorter. And must I say, as as an adult, I am so thankful that it wasn't the, <laughs> you know, almost 20 hour slog that was Uncharted 4. Love Uncharted 4. Love it. Don't want to, uh, you know, m- make that um, ambiguous at all. But I definitely think it outstayed its welcome a touch. I think it could have been much shorter, uh, and that is what Uncharted The Lost Legacy is. Um, it still is remarkably beautiful, this game. A 2017 PlayStation 4 title just looks incredible. The vegetation, the quality of the animation still blows me away. Uh, the overall presentation, you know, the, the, the dialogue, anyone who's played a, a Naughty Dog game, um, this comes as, as no surprise. Um, I suppose the one element that um, I didn't enjoy was just the uh, some janky controls, particularly at the end, if anyone, and I won't spoil because, you know, you've had only had seven years to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, you, you might remember the, the, the final escape sequence, the camera changes perspective and you're on something that is moving and uh, I died, I think, about 15 times and it was really an anticlimactic ending to my experience um but overall i thought it was i thought it was really fantastic um it did raise this question uh in my mind that i I wanted to to share with you both and that is you know there are rumors of a new uncharted game coming out soon you know it's been teased in these live action trailers from playstation as well so i'm wondering if uncharted the current formula you know you mentioned earlier talking about borderlands whether it needs to evolve with the times do we think uncharted needs to change at all i wonder if Mm the existing formula of move from one sandbox to another, a bit of combat, a bit of exploration, you know, follow the white painted stones up the, up the, the cliff face or, or the building. Um, that kind of traversal is still, I suppose, thrilling and exhilarating for audiences in, you know, let's say mm. 2024 and beyond. 
That's a good question. I, I think for me, the answer is yes. I think I'm, I've also been gone long enough that I'm like, oh man, I'd love to have, I'd love a new Uncharted game. This, you know, I'm, I'm there for the story. I'm there for the, the, the great storytelling, the great acting and the cool set pieces. And if there's new ones of uh, new set pieces, new things to do, uh, I don't necessarily think the formula needs to change. Although, you know, it occurs to me that if, you know, as an Australian playing uh, Uncharted, it feels maybe re- redundant to your daily life. It just it seems like that's just what it is like to be in Jeff, Australia all the time. The amount of time I spend on a daily basis climbing things, shooting yeah, people I, and creatures and animals, it's it's hellfire down here, you know? I so, believe please. it. Everything, everything I know about Australia <laughs> makes me believe you. You're like you're in a Jeep all the time, you know? That's it. Hanging yep. off of it, getting dirty, you know? I'm sure that's just uh, that's just what you're, everybody in Australia is doing. I go through, you know, a dozen, uh, you know, hook shots uh, a week. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's that um, it's Yeah, that there's like. Down here. I mean, you guys, you know, lamented the fact that you, you know, uh, you're wondering if the, the, a, a Golf War video game is is something you want to live through. Well, this is just Australia. This is Australia. Yeah. The video. You've got an Australian <laughs> actress playing the main character. I mean, it couldn't be more on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Christian Spicer. I know you Lost Legacy is one of your favorite games of all time. You're a Naughty Dog super fan. Uh, what do you what do you make of this question? You, you think that Uncharted needs to be? I mean, obviously, from a narrative perspective, we have to reckon with the fact that Uncharted Four sort of put a bookend on the end uh, of these characters. But setting that aside, from a purely game mechanics perspective, do you think that the the style of uh, Uncharted is has outdated? I don't. I don't think the style of Uncharted is outdated. That said, I I think that if Naughty Dog or a company that is trusted to deliver this caliber of experience takes the mantle, I I think there are things that they will have that they will implement that weren't around before. The same way Last of Us 2 brought new things to The Last of Us 1 and what those combat mechanics were like. I think there's a lot of room for combat improvements in the uncharted franchise and the types of things that you can do and that the player can directly can control with animations and melee and having a satisfying shooting experience that is refined from things that were available you know before because lost legacy is built off of uncharted 4 which is even older than lost legacy and then i think i would look for inspiration in the things that lost legacy brought to the franchise it was an open world but they had that beautiful part in the middle maybe the first third of the game where you have this this sandbox and there are optional treasures you can go get and different ways that you can uh, tackle objectives and i think if they leaned into that in a smart way without making a full open world game I think could be really rewarding and open up this idea of exploration and treasure hunting. But all of that said, there are so few studios that do what Naughty Dog is able to do in terms of the production value, the storytelling, the acting, that getting another story of that caliber. I, I really don't think it needs to do much more than that because there are so few of those games. You all joked last week that there have been more remasters of the last of us than there have been actual last of us games yes but i think that also shows that these games are are so finely made and and really connect with people in so many ways that well i'd love to see them evolve the formula i don't think they need to do much to have a huge hit on their hands i think it's a challenging uh sort of thing for you know franchise management right you know 
One of my favorite series is is Halo, and we know that's had its uh, its ups and downs, mostly downs. Um, but I feel like they did a really good job with Infinite of adding new elements to the that franchise that didn't really dilute the core experience of what Halo is. You know, it's it's things like the grapple hook that really, uh, I suppose, enhance what is already there. So uh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to if we do see another Uncharted that it um, it can add something again that um, that still retains the essence of what it means to be an uncharted game um the other game i uh dipped back into um off the back of uh, several other older playthroughs this year was fable 2 i hadn't played this game in in more than a decade and uh for whatever reason this year i felt compelled to go back to what i describe as the golden era for me and that is the early 360 days i recently did a replay of bioshock shortly after that gears of war 2 and so i thought look fable 2 was one of my favorite games from 2008 let's go back and take a look and um Let's just say it doesn't hold up nearly as well as Gears of War 2. Oh, um, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, That's a it's, a, it's a bit of a shame. Notably the controls. I think uh, it really feels as though the main character is uh, skating around on ice the entire time. It's nowhere near as responsive as games we, we would come to expect from, uh, from tw- you know, in 2023, for example. Um, what still is uh, really takes me back is the charm and the whimsical nature of this series. And again, it's something that I hope the new fable from Playground really retains you know it's the the exaggerated art style um it was even teased in the most recent trailer where the um uh character is talking about heroes with you know uh incredibly high cheekbones Uh, and that is very i suppose um uh to the point when it comes to to fables art style you know there are god rays coming through every single tree all this amazing british humor as well um and so yeah i was i was really really uh really enjoyed my my playthrough of fable 2 were it not for for the controls what really struck me as well is that the combat seemed to uh take a lot from assassin's creed but then also i suppose um uh, it was a bit of a precursor to the witcher 3's combat system where the camera pans up some more and you're surrounded by all these enemies obviously you have of course your melee weapons magic and the guns at the same time and i remember back in the day peter molyneux really um talking up the fact that all of these all these abilities were mapped contextually to the face buttons um, yeah. And so that that part of it works works really really well. And I must say, uh, I really hope that the next Fable game still has the beloved companion in uh, the <laughs> hero's dog. That is the one feature that I need them to keep. Fable Two has love. A that, video yeah. game has never had love before. Uh, was I remember in Molyneux's famous presentation? Um, I really hope we hear more about the next Fable game this year, but I suspect we won't. I suspect we will not hear a peep about the next Fable in 2024 and that it will be a 2025 discussion. Um, but I, I hope I hope so. I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating the continuation of that franchise because like you, I have very fond memories of, of the Fables. Uh, I am I, disinclined to return to them uh, hearing you say it doesn't hold up uh, nearly as well. I'd like to just hold on to my my lovely memories of it, of of Fable Two, but um, yeah, like you, it's from a very special time of of game playing and uh, a, a franchise I very much hold dear. So, yeah, and then uh, the last game I quickly want to talk about is uh, a roguelike tower defense game on PC. It's on Windows 
Mac and I believe Linux as well. Uh, it's called Dome Keeper. Uh, it's by a couple studio out of Germany published by Raw Fury. Uh, it's on sale at the moment. I think about 10 US dollars, I want to say. Um, and it's really cool. It is a uh, yeah tower defense game, 2D, uh, 8-bit, really charming visual style. And essentially, you start the game as uh, this uh, explorer, this space explorer who crash lands on an alien planet. Um, and your your ship is in the shape of a dome, and so when it lands on the ground, uh, you're sort of protected by uh, by by its exterior, its glass exterior, uh, and to survive the uh, the intermittent waves of enemies that come to attack your ship, uh, you need to bury down into the ground, find resources, and then use your jetpack to bring them up to your dome, upgrade your ship, its defense capabilities, uh, its weapons as well. Uh, you can customize the the size of the map. Um, you can implement uh, sort of passive uh, defense mechanisms like, you know, lasers that will automatically shoot uh, f- flying enemies that, that come close to your ship as well. Um, yeah, really, really neat, really, really cool. Um, would recommend. It's got one of those uh, very simple to understand, but I suppose difficult to master hooks. And uh, it was always a sense of just another round, just another round. And rounds, I think between waves, you're, you're talking about three minutes, if that as well, um, I suppose the only thing I would wish for is a bit of uh, a bit of ambiance, a bit of a bit of music, and a really cool backing track for that. Uh, but that's obviously something that you can you can do yourself um, as you play the game as well. So yeah, check it out, Dome Keeper on Steam right now on sale. Yeah, Christian and I both really dug that game. Um, it, it is a, a great re- um, example of something that I think really came into vogue in indie games, where it's this mishmash of two very disparate play elements that are, you know you, you stick them together it doesn't seem like they would work but it, it really works it's two very different kinds of games like you're doing this kind of game and then you're going to do that kind of game you're doing the dome uh staving off the bad guys then you're doing the the sort of supply runs digging down push your luck style uh really clever and uh great as you said great sort of pixel art presentation very cool dome keeper great 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 game and it's on sale as you said very cool all right, Christian Spicer, what is on your playlist this week? We've entered the time of the year where, aside from maybe Avatar, which is the 7th of December, I think, is Avatar. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm in that time of year now of uh, I'm dome keeping my favorites of the year, right? I really want to make sure I have a good handle on what my favorites of the year are going to be. And so I want to go back and replay some games and dip my toe back into things or get things that I haven't gotten to yet that i think should be in that conversation i I can't play everything which is why we say it's favorites and not definitive game of the year so this week has been a lot of that or i guess it's been two weeks since i've been on um anthony taramina i was contractually obligated to say his name twice anthony that's three i've now done it so seems like a real uh disproportionate number of mentions no it was one per handheld that he got shipped to him (laughs) is what i needed to do (laughs) Ah, um So the first one that I want to start with is Resident Evil 4 Remake, but the Separate Ways DLC, which Ah. I had not experienced. So, like, I wanted to refresh my brain of this game as we go into goatee season. And instead of just replaying the game, which, let's be honest, it's not really pulling my leg to make me do that. It's a fantastic game. I was like, oh, I haven't played Separate Ways yet. And it's a fun way to get back into that universe Separate Separate Ways is fantastic. It's a $10 DLC for Resident Evil 4 Remake, and it does all of the things that you think it would do 
to Resident Evil 4 Remake. It, it's very similar. It's like changes some stuff, but it's also what you remember. And it's really cool to see the story from another perspective and see how those paths cross. If you've played the main game, you know where that those characters intersect and to see what the other people are doing on the other side. And what I love about Resident Evil 4, the remake, is how beautiful of a game it is and how well that Capcom engine scales. I played a lot of separate ways on my Steam Deck and it runs so good. So is this your new dang. OLED Steam Deck or your No, Anthony Taormina <laughs> has that apparently. Oh, I, get I the keep two telling you him. confused. If you only you would yeah. mention each other's names more, that would help. Uh, Anthony Taormina? Um it plays so well on on the Steam Deck and then I sit down on my home PC and I'm like, "Oh, my eyes are melting. It's so beautiful." It's I love games that are, you know, beautiful and and also scalable. So Resident Evil 4 separate ways Highly recommend if you have played through the remake and didn't buy the DLC. I think it's well worth the money for the time you get. And I think it continues the excellent tradition that Capcom established with remake itself of being different and new, but also feeling like a comfy blanket. Kind of like we were talking about for Halo. Uh, Shane mentioned how they, you know, find ways to keep that franchise fresh, but also feel like you think it should. Um, It's great. The other is thing. It, oh, go ahead, Jeff. Is it, yeah. um, how often do they play the Journey song in it? Because that's constant. Constant. Oh, yeah. I'm in then. I'm in. You boot it up. You watch the video. which It's like a live performance video, which I, I, didn't, I hadn't seen before. It was new to me. Um, it was great. And then you get to see the new version of it with their new lead singer. Nails it also. Um, he's no longer. What's he's apart? Hearts are broken. No, sorry. Anyway, go ahead. They'll keep going. Go ahead. No, you I, got uh, I, 10 more I, seconds. Copyright violation. Let's not give them ideas on what skins to add to the game either. <laughs> <laughs> Love will find you. Uh, am I playing the game right now? You. I, sorry, I feel ahead. like I'm playing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, the next game that you have talked about before, and I think we've had guests talk about as well, but I had not gone fingers on yet is sea of stars which got its share i'm so i'm five hours in i hope to be done before you know goatee conversation uh i guess it is favorite yeah fody for our show um fodies i tape one to both hands you can only pick five (laughs) Um, (laughs) um for that conversation to take place in full but it's delightful it's absolutely delightful. Everything you said about it, I would co-sign. It's beautiful. Shane, to your point of you know having great backing track and maybe Domekeeper could be elevated a little bit by its soundtrack. Sea of Stars soundtrack is exquisite. And I love a game. One, I'm, I'm playing it on xCloud, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But I love a game that you can set down between attacks. Like Pokemon... <laughs> I love Pokemon for that. It's like, I don't need sleep wake mode because I can be like, what is that? And I can put it down and I know the dialogue's not going to advance and I know I'm not going to get hit or my timer is going to, my cooldown. You know, it's called turn-based. That's just called turn-based, Christian. Is that so you can continue your Gulf War documentary that you're watching as well, Christian? Yes. It's actually so I can watch Jeff singing Journey cover songs. I have a whole thumb drive full of them. Sleepless nights. Sorry. But I, I... not all turn-based games are that. Like I think 
the broad umbrella of what turn-based is. Often, sometimes there's the timer. Other times it's like the for access approach where you can't just set it and forget it because 10 guys are going to come kill you. And then you come back and you're like, oh, I'm dead. <laughs> oh, um, but Sea of Stars is, is exquisite. And while I still think GeForce Now is my preferred cloud gaming platform, I played through all of, um, uh, I was going to call it Ninja Gaiden. It is not. Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name, via xCloud, probably 15% was played locally just to get that comparison point, and the rest was all played via xCloud. And now Sea of Stars, I'm playing via xCloud on my Steam Deck, but also on my phone with uh, my backbone attached. And it's a fantastic xCloud game, and I think xCloud has gotten substantially better from where it launched. So I think if folks, you already have Game Pass Ultimate, and maybe haven't dabbled with xCloud again, give it a shot, especially for games like Sea of Stars, where it doesn't require... I guess, actually, take that back. Sea of Stars does require those button presses for blocks and to power up your hits, and I feel like I haven't missed because I've been playing on the cloud. It's great. Sea of Stars is great. I need to play more of it to see if it makes my top five, but I love it. You didn't even mention the really cool combat system in Sea of Stars. No, I co-signed is, the stuff that you said about oh, it you weeks co-signed. ago. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. co-signed like five months ago. <laughs> yeah. Yes. If, yes. So if you default, so fun. they can come to me for the payment. That's why I, I, love that's it. Why I did it. Thank I, you. I co-signed. Yeah. What mm-hmm. else is on your playlist there, Christian? Also for a Fody season, um, yeah. I am replaying. <laughs> I played through about Fody's. six hours again of jedi survivor that's the jedi thing. survivor Fody season you got to pour one out you know you got to pour one out for the <laughs> older games that came out early in the season i uh this year i'm gonna be pouring one out for like 30 games that don't make my top five yeah. uh jeff Christian's, i can already tell that our game our end of the year episode is going to be christian going all right my number five but before i say my number five i want to tell you this 15 games that didn't make number five for me yeah as an it's avid a, listener, Chris, I enjoy that, Christian. He's so, a cheater, yeah. cheater. I don't enable. Thank don't, yeah, you, yeah, don't, Shane. Don't encourage him. I am so pleased to be here with my new co-host. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, we played so long ago. We loved, we did a spoiler cast for it. Great game. But I was sitting here trying to, you know, dome keep my, my favorites of the year. And I really felt like I needed to revisit it. And so I played, yeah. like I said, about five, six hours um it's still great <laughs> yeah it's that the traversal combat. stuff for me that made it the most fun i mean it's... i think the combat is 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 cool and everything but the way that game handled traversal i was like ah this is like playing those old prince of persia not not super old prince of persia but like middle old prince of persia's <laughs> and the way the way you start the game feeling powerful but then get more powerful versus yeah. spider-man 2 which i love and i don't need to replay because i just played you lost all your stuff from the first game i thought it's yeah. beautiful the way jedi survivor gives you all the stuff from the first game but then it still keeps There's making more stuff. More still powerful. More stuff really really good yeah. i still in my play replay time with it i do not care about farming on my roof like i just don't i don't know who that's for not for this guy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I agree. I think the farming there. could have been more interesting. Also, it's not that interesting. I mean, yeah. can you fit in? Can you fit the seeds in your thing? Nope. 
All right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only a few hours in, and so it's probably going to be my Christmas holiday game that I catch up on. Um, but uh, yeah, based on uh, based on what everything else you have played this year, Christian, is it something that uh, I should definitely complete? Oh, think? it's excellent. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. That's excellent. Yeah. Especially if you love third person action games. Like, yes, it's it is phenomenal. It. I think. For me, Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say like the 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 farm. Like I wasn't as motivated to do all the side quests because a lot of it fed into systems that I didn't care about. Like I liked getting the rare plant, like doing the traversal thing to get the rare plant. But then I had the rare plant, and I was like, "Who cares about this?" We. <laughs> You're like, yeah. I got a poncho. I don't care about that. But I liked the act of getting it. But I found myself not being motivated to seek everything out because the reward yeah. wasn't fun if that makes sense yeah you can get you can get like i don't know 20 different haircuts in that game but there's like three that i want you know <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean like i wouldn't be caught dead in uh, half those haircuts in that game but there's like three real good haircuts you know yeah. there's a game where it's like i found my poncho i found my haircut i even found my little uh bd1 design and i pretty much stuck with it you know i was like that's who my characters that's how they look and I, whereas Spider-Man, I'm like, new spider suit, I'm in it, you know? <laughs> yeah. This one is from that run back in 94. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not to throw all it's Australians really good, under the bus, but social gaming, the gaming community social channels around the launch of Jedi Survivor. It was just mullets. Mullets everywhere. Mullets <laughs> as far as the eye could see. And yeah, yeah I uh, cried a single tear. Isn't being Australian <laughs> and playing Jedi Survivor redundant? <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, that's cool, Christian. I, I, I was going to say, um, to Shane, you know, say, well, is it worth playing? Is this is one of those games that if it came out like this month or last month, everybody would be putting it in their yep. game of the year. You know, it just came out too early and then, uh, other things came out and people are like, oh yeah, no, that, that game was great. But how uh, that came out this year. Yeah. It just yeah. gets lost in that early. And it launched with some performance issues as well. That a few are still lingering, but in my quarter replay have been largely ironed out. I I think it's a triumph of a game. It's it's the same reason why I'm sad for for my personal FOTI. And that is Hi-Fi Rush at the moment. Obviously a a January release. I think most people That got some love in the in the game awards. I saw five noms. Yeah. But yeah, that game's excellent. You're right. Uh Christian, anything else you want to mention? I do have my last game in my Christian's Random Apple Arcade Game Recommendation. It is a game people probably know, but it is now free. For, for, free. It feels weird to say. Part of your paid subscription um, that you're maybe paying for to watch Monarch. <laughs> if you listen to <laughs> Apple Music and want to watch Monarch, guess what? Apple gave you this also as part of the Apple One sub. And it's Downwell, specifically Downwell plus is part of the apple arcade subscription down well i don't know if we ever talked about on this show maybe we did i mean it's fantastic it's a quote platformer but you're you're constantly falling down you're going down a well randomized power-ups one more run simplistic look black and white only maybe 16-bit era pixel work um, a little more advanced than original nes and you're, you're just falling. You can jump and then you fall down and you're going down the screen and you got little enemies popping in. And the change of perspective from left to right to down and the lack of finite control you have because you are falling versus you know a jump arc a lot of players know 
makes it feel fresh and new. And it's an awesome game. Awesome game. If you haven't played it, you should play Downwell. It's fantastic. Downwell on mobile, I had not played before. I think it had been out, but now playing the free version on Apple Arcade. I think it's worth checking out if you have Apple Arcade, but it is not my favorite way to play Downwell. It doesn't support it. I don't have my phone with me. It doesn't support a controller because you actually play it in, um, excuse me, portrait mode instead of landscape because, which is great because it uses that real estate well. But then because of that, you can't put a backbone on it and kind of play it in that Mm, vertical mode. So you're using a touch screen, which is fine because it's only left, right in action. I think it only uses three buttons but it still puts those buttons at the bottom of the screen, which makes sense for the ergonomics of how you'd hold your phone in that portrait mode. But it stinks because it's right where the critical information would be. Like you want to see the lowest possible point because that's where you're going. And I feel like it just obstructs the view enough that like, I don't know if they could have put the buttons on the top and have you, you know, hold the phone all wonky or just shorten the screen and put Hmm. just the controls on the bottom. It's a phenomenal game. I don't think it's the best version of it, but you might already have it. And it's a great time waster because rounds are usually over fairly quickly. Downwell plus Apple Arcade. Very cool. I might actually introduce my seven-year-old to this one. Um, now that it's and it might Apple. be good on an iPad, actually. I, had, I have not yeah. played it on my iPad. That might be a better way to play it. it. It's more spread out. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Um, all of the stuff that I've been playing uh, is in VR. So we're just going to transition right into that right now. That's not really true, but I really want to talk about VR. Uh, Because this week, Assassin's Creed Nexus VR uh, entered my MetaQuest 3 headset. And uh, I heard... Anthony Taormina, I guess I got to say his name too. Uh, Anthony Taormina mentioned it last week, talked about it. But, you know, Anthony, he can be a little understated. And I don't think he did justice to how incredibly awesome this game is. I love Assassin's Creed Nexus VR. It is so cool how they have managed to translate all of these sort of iconic... I. Assassin's Creed stuff into this VR environment and doing it with gestures, doing it, you know, with presence is a joy. I am digging this game so much. Listeners to the show will recall that I have a very specific kind of Assassin's Creed game. I tend to like and Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I think will it has lingered as one of my very favorite games ever. Uh, I don't even know if it was number one on my top five the year it came out, but it has kept the real estate in my brain. And I, I just absolutely adore Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It is one of my very favorite open world action games. It's one of my very favorite game experiences. I, I put over a hundred hours into it. I did everything except the, you know, ticky tacky collection stuff. But man, I loved that game. And it's cool that in Assassin's Creed Nexus, not only do you get to play in as Ezio, you get to play as Cassandra from that game as well. And they play differently. But I'm kind of bearing the lead here because what is so, so cool about Assassin's Creed Nexus VR. Well, let me just start at the beginning. 
First of all, I'm playing it uh, on the uh, MetaQuest 3. I don't know if it supports the 2. I think it does. But if you're familiar even remotely with the Assassin's Creed lore and premise, uh, the idea of Assassin's Creed is that people in the future have this thing called an animus. They get inside it, and it transports them into the memories of people who existed hundreds of years ago. That sounds an awful lot like VR. And the fact that that metaphor already exists in the fiction of this world is, is pretty cool. It makes it an appropriate title to, to use in this way. But I think provided a really cool opportunity for the developers that they took full advantage of. And that is when you first start the game and you are in the sort of futuristic animus world, you are interacting with the futuristic cool people who work for the company name that I can't never remember, but like they're in, they're the future people and you're dealing with them in this virtual space. And on the MetaQuest three, it uses the pass through feature so that it feels like you're sitting in your own space. In my case, my, my office and you're seeing my office and they overlay uh, the menu system, the the sort of really cool like animus, interactive animus thing. So it feels like what I did was I put on this headset and I got in the animus. And that already I just think is so so slick and cool. And the people that you're talking to uh, who you're seeing their virtual avatars, you know, wandering around and, and walking up to you and telling you about these – you know, you're going to have to go back to Renaissance Italy and you're going to have to go back to ancient Greece and, you know, you're going to have to do these quests and things and we're going to have to collect where, you know, they're searching for the uh, Antikythera, which is a pretty cool historical thing. Um, and as they're, you, you know, as they're telling you this stuff, they like, they're in the virtual space and then they log out. And the way they log out is their little avatar reaches up to their face and pulls off uh, a headset, but you don't see it because, you know, it's like if you reached up and pulled off your headset and it's tracking your hands, that's what you would see. And it's just, I don't know. It's a cool detail that makes it really feel like I'm doing the thing. And then you go into the memory and now you're transported into the virtual reality. And now you're looking at your hands and they've got the, you know, the signature Assassin's Creed wrist knife thing. And they do this really awesome thing where you push a button and rotate your wrist back and it makes the knife shoot out, which is just like already rad. That's what I want out of an Assassin's Creed first person experience is like do the thing and you do the thing. And you're wandering on these, you know, these, these cities, I think, you know, to be fair, I, you know, obviously I'm a VR enthusiast, but you know, it feels like you're, you're inside a PS3 Assassin's Creed, right? And that's a bit of a bummer graphically, but I just, I, but I think, you know, the PS3 Assassin's Creed looks pretty good. And I think the game looks really good. For a standalone headset, not tethered to anything, I think the, the game looks pretty good. And you're, you're in these large environments and there's people walking around doing everything. Does it look like Uncharted 4? No. Does it look like Horizon Forbidden West? Definitely not. Does it even look like the Horizon VR game? No. 
But the Horizon VR game, I was tethered to the PlayStation 5. And, you know, so it's not absolutely gorgeous, but I think it looks solid. And it certainly transported me into those worlds. And the worlds are big and uh, detailed enough. There's enough stuff in them. I mean, you're wandering around. You're seeing things you can pick up and manipulate. Um, th- that element of it is co- is cool, and I think the, the the sort of size and scale and scope of some of the places is is neat. And even better than that is it's got all of that Assassin's Creed stuff. So when I'm playing an Assassin's Creed game, what's the first thing I do? Well, I find the tallest place in town. I climb up to it, and I stand there and I synchronize right, and the camera zooms out and it does this big sweep around me and I get to all the cool, uh, you know, icons, all the, all the points of interest in the city. Well, in the VR version, you do the same thing, except now I'm actually physically climbing up stuff. I'm getting to the top of things. And when I finally get to that perch point, that cool synchronization point, I grab this logo, I sync, and then it, pulls back in that you know bird's eye view that you often get you know seamlessly in these assassin's creed games except now it's in vr and so i'm in this awesome like diorama world where i'm you know i'm i'm hovering above it everything is tiny but all the people are still wandering around all the stuff is still present all the buildings are there all the you know all the stuff i'm just pulled way back looking down on it and it it's all in 3d and it feels like i'm looking at this this diorama or this you know this this sort of um model this miniature model that's alive and i could point out you know pick out all the places and and see all the cool points of interest it's rad it feels cool and even better than that when i leave that view and come back to my body i'm standing on that perch i put my arms out horizontal or uh, uh, perpendicular to my sides, you know, in like a T pose, press a button. And then I do the leap of faith and I, you know, fall into a, a bale of hay, land in the bale of hay and there's hay all around me. I think it's rad. It, I, 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 they, the fact that they did that in this game, in a VR, in first person, you know, one-to-one size, I feel like I'm jumping off of something. And the fact that I never even had a whiff of motion sickness or anything like that that's all in the past i mean maybe i'm unique in that regard i don't think so i think these games have just gotten so good that you don't feel that in fact assassin's creed nexus vr has parkour in it and the parkour is insanely fun and it works just like the assassin's creed games you know from you know the 2d versions so you're Coming up to geometry in the in the world, like, you know, there'll be, you know, broken floorboards or you'll be up on a rooftop and there'll be a gap between roofs or there'll be the, you know, the um, like planks of wood that'll be uh, up above on the second floor that are in a, uh, you know, a, a, a very convenient line that you have to hop from one to one. You just hold a button just like you would. And press forward and you and you sprint and you move over those things, but it's in first person and you're 
gliding through the environment, running on things, leaping up to stuff. And it's so rad how you'll, you know, you'll run and leap to a, um, a higher point, a, a ledge or a windowsill or something. And you have to reach out with your hands and grab onto it by pushing the, you know, the, the middle finger buttons, the gra- grab buttons on the uh, Oculus control controllers. And so you're, you're running, uh, you're running fast and then you're leaping and you have to change from that sort of like holding a to grabbing on. And it, it actually takes some skill and it's really cool. And there are just like you would find in a regular Assassin's Creed game. There are, sort of these timed uh, side quests, sort of mini game things of how, can you, you know, uh, parkour through the city in a certain amount of time. And it's a blast. I found myself doing that, like jumping over rooftops, grabbing onto things, getting to the top of stuff, climbing things. You can climb almost anything just like in, in Assassin's Creed. It just, it doesn't just have, you know, giant grip points. You're constantly using it. The comp, excuse me. Pardon me. The combat is a blast. You've got different kinds of weapons. You can throw things. You've got the the sword combat, I think, is, you know, is very similar to sword combat in a lot of VR games. You're parrying to open up uh, opportunities to um, slash. That's not, you know, reinventing the wheel. But they also add these cool, like, dash things where... You can pull out your assassin's wrist blades and dash forward and and stab dudes in the neck. You can do the awesome Assassin's Creed thing of being on a high point, looking down on a guard who's, you know, doing their patrol. And you can open up your Assassin's Creed knives and leap down upon them and stab them and, and assassinate them. And it's super fun because you're actually doing it. You're, you know, you push a button to jump, but you're actually making the motions and stabbing their necks. It's rad. It's, it, and there's, you know, kind of very light puzzle manipulation elements of like grabbing things in the environment that work very well in VR. There's, you know, storytelling characters that you meet, uh, locations you'll go to. And I don't know. I just think they, they knocked this out of the park. You know, if you're skeptical about VR in the regard of like, oh, it looks dated, it looks, you know, the graphics, blah, blah, blah. Yes, it's not going to blow your socks off. It'll still, it's going to look like a PS3 game. It's not going to be, you know, the the most incredible looking game. But I think it looks, it looks great. I think it's very immersive. I think the environments look awesome. And I, I'm just having so much fun playing it. And revisiting these characters that I actually like from the from the series, um, it just works so well. And they they managed to come up with so many clever things to do uh, in VR, and the way you do them is almost always very fun. I dig it. That's really good to hear, Jeff. Because as a former Ubisoft employee, I recall working on a plethora of VR games and you know, some hit, some didn't, you know, thing, but I think it really, I mean, this is in my mind is uh, maybe it paid off that, you know, Ubisoft invested in VR really early. They put out experiences like Eagle Flight and Werewolves Within and yeah. Star Trek Bridge Crew. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, and very happy to hear that there's no motion sickness for this one, because I guarantee you that if I was T-posing into a leap of faith, I'd, I'd leap of faith onto my floor. 
I think, uh, <laughs> face first. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I can't speak for everybody. I found no no problem with that regard. And 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 again, it's it's moving for you in a lot of these things. You're jumping over things, leaping as you're just pushing forward and holding a button like you would in the in the regular Assassin's Creed games. And I found none of that made me queasy. But it also has a lot of comfort options. I have most of the comfort options off. The only thing that I use is the snap to turn, which I find very comfortable. Um, but other than that, I have you know smooth motion, all that stuff. They even have settings for people who are afraid of heights. Like it, it allows you to, I, I don't even know what it does. It, I think it allows you to not do some of the, the things you have to get high up to do. Um, I don't have a, that problem, so I didn't turn it on. But I think it's cool that it, they go so far in trying to make people feel comfortable in playing it. Uh, you can play seated or standing. I found uh, standing to be much more fun. It's just, it, they do a lot of cool stuff where you're like overhearing conversations and peeking through slats and boards to see people talking or walking underneath, um, you know, uh, an open grate where people are walking above you and overhearing them. And all that stuff happening around you is really fun in VR because you're actually looking up and noticing things in your environment. There's hidden uh, stuff, you know, little uh, collectibles to be found in every level that are cleverly hidden. There's lots of drawers to open and cupboards to open and boxes to open and, and things inside them to physically manipulate. It's just, it's, it's great fun. It's great fun. I really am impressed with how they translated Assassin's Creed into VR with Nexus. Are you persuaded at all by any of that, Christian? I don't have an Oculus 3. Uh, nor do I plan on getting one. If it came out on PlayStation VR 2, yes, I, I would be playing this game right now, but there aren't enough hits to make I me hope it does. buy another VR headset, you know? But I think this may great. have been a, a, a joint production with um, with Facebook or or whatever we're calling it, Meta. Um, so that they may, you know, prohibit it from going to other VR platforms, but I certainly hope other people get a chance to play it because uh, I, I hope it comes to PlayStation VR 2 because I think... Uh, I think it's it's real fun, real fun, uh, and and fun in in ways. You know, there's a lot of VR games that sort of do the same thing, and I think that it does some of the same things. Like some of the climbing stuff is similar, but there's so many cool little innovations that I think it brings to the table that I, I'm really impressed. All right, um, let's also uh, carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Right now. We haven't had tabletop time uh, in a while, and I love talking about tabletop games, particularly this time of year as we're getting close to the holidays and people are getting together and families are getting together. And and uh, it's always fun to pull out a board game uh, with the family. And we got this awesome email sent to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from Steven who writes, uh, hey, I wanted to propose an idea for this holiday season. Family-friend gatherings often lend themselves to playing some form of games. In the interest of saving everyone from endless rounds of Uno or Taboo, which, side note, Stephen, I get it, but those are solid. Uno, solid for kids. Taboo is great fun. Anyway, uh, maybe a week or two of tabletop time could be devoted to discussing some games that are easy to learn for larger parties, maybe six to eight people. I feel like the ideal game 
could handle three to 10 people, be easily explained, and last no more than 30 minutes a session. It's a tall order, Stephen. Tall order. Uh, Stephen has a suggestion. Stephen says, my recommendation is hues and cues. The premise is that the board game is a gradient of colors separated into a grid. The player whose turn it is uh, is given four options on a card to choose from and then must describe their chosen color with one word, then a second round per turn with two word hints. The other players then place their markers on the square they think is the indicated color. Points are awarded based on guessing the correct color for the other players and getting correct guesses for the hint giver. No reading or strategy is needed and many fun arguments can come up. For example, Stephen says, not every purple is Barney. The game itself is currently $20 on Amazon and can be found for under 30 at most local stores. Well, thank you for that recommendation, Stephen. This sounds a bit like Celebrity, but with colors, which I think is pretty cool. Hues and Cues is the name of that one. Uh, but I know uh, that uh, you guys ha- have uh, some suggestions. And Shane, uh, you had said you had a uh, one that would work for Stephen's prompt. Uh, what is your suggestion? Yeah, this is one I haven't played in a while, but I bought specifically because it had a very simple premise uh, and I wanted something that I could enjoy with my brother and my mom who aren't avid tabletop players. And that is Tsuro, which is spelled T-S-U-R-O. I'm not sure if Jeff Christian, you either of you have played this one or, or heard of it, but uh, Mine's it's very- sitting right over there. Oh, fantastic. <clears throat> Look at that. Um, yeah. Well, for those who can't see that far back, I have the board game here, so any <laughs> patrons watching the video feed can see. Um, beautiful game, really simple. Uh, there's a six by six grid. Each player is given a uh, token that they place at the very uh, edge of the board. Um, In each of the squares, uh, you also have these tiles, and each of the tiles have lines on them uh, that are connected uh, across eight different points on uh, each of the four-sided tiles. Um, So you have two points on each side. uh, And then your job is to, or your mission, so to speak, is to place tiles in front of your token, uh, and your token will travel the path uh, of the line that happens to line up with where it is on the edge of the board. Uh, you're connecting those tiles each turn that you play. Your objective is to uh, either uh, or survive, essentially, because what you're trying to do is force other players off the board um, or into one another, at which point they would be eliminated. So it's a last man standing kind of situation and uh, really simple, really easy to get into. Uh, it's, it says on the box two to eight players, uh, but uh, if there are more, then players can can team up as well and just play tiles um, and, and take it in turns as well. So really simple, really beautiful art style, easy to understand. You can explain it in five minutes, if that, uh, and games happen pretty quickly as well. So yeah, one that I would recommend for the whole family. Again, that's called Suro. It's T-S-U-R-O. Uh, Christian, uh, you have a, a suggestion that kind of works for this as well. And uh, one I think most people may, may underestimate. Yeah, it falls in the genre of you say the first word of the name and everybody's like, nah. And then you say <laughs> the second word of the name and they've already left your house because you said the first word. <laughs> You're like, wait. No, go back. Monopoly deal. We had 16 people uh, in our house, uh, which is a lot of people to be in this house, <laughs> which is also why I was playing a lot of stuff on xCloud on my Steam Deck uh, and on my phone um, this past week. But Monopoly deal came out quite a few times, and it is a card-based game. There's no board, 
but also is familiar, feels familiar, I should say, to people who have a familiarity with Monopoly. But as it advertised on the box that we had and also on the Board Game Geek picture they have as well, it plays in 15 minutes. It's like, wait, 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 wait. It's not it's not your mom and dad's monopoly. It's not eight hours leaving it on the coffee table for weeks and the dog eats the you know the the, the piece that you needed to the dog build the hotel the dog. Finish. the dog yeah, dog eat dog. There you go, it's better. <laughs> um but it, it is still collecting properties, getting three of a kind, having money that goes in a bank to pay debts and action cards. So it uses a lot of the tropes of Monopoly that I think can make people feel comfortable with the game because oftentimes I think you bust out a new board game and it's a lot of information and Monopoly deal has enough stuff that feels enough like a blanket that someone's worn, you know, or used snuggled with already that they're willing to give it a shot, but it's quick. It's fun. And, um, don't let the Monopoly part of it scare you off because it is, it, it, it's really fun and it, and it, does a good job of distilling down this idea of property collection while doing my favorite part of the actual board game Monopoly, which I would argue the only good part of it is, is screwing over the people you're playing with. <laughs> and Monopoly Deal has that element in it as well, and, and it's a good time. I agree. I think this is the best version of Monopoly ever ever released. And it, you know, it's only Monopoly, in, as you said, in sort of iconography. The, the actual playing of it is very, very different and... Uh, I think I picked up I bought this again not too long ago, maybe in the in the last year, and maybe in the last like six months, as I was not wanted to introduce my kids to it, because they've been playing uh junior versions of Monopoly. There's a Bluey Monopoly and a Super Mario Monopoly that are actually not too bad. Um but I bought this, I think, at like a Target or something for four bucks. It was like so inexpensive. So I think you can find Monopoly deal very, very inexpensive. Very good pick, Christian. I like it. Um I have a, a bunch that could be mentioned in this uh, from this prompt, but Stephen, I think you know the easiest recommendation if you're looking for larger groups of folks that all want to play together at the same time and you want to do something easy and super fun that's great for everybody. The answer is wits and wagers. Like that's just the easiest answer. Wits and wagers. Uh, it's a guessing game where not knowing the answer is just as fun as knowing it, which is a very smart thing to pull off because most people, when you pull out a trivia game, they're like, ah, oh, I never get, I'm never good at these. I never know anything. It's like, no, 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 no. The whole point of wits and wagers is nobody knows the answer, but we're all, and we're all guessing and that's the fun. So anyway, if you're looking for games for large and there's no like upper limit to wits and wagers, cause you can just start getting teams. And so you can play with 30, 40 people if you wanted to, cause you just make teams. Um, but it's, it's a great game. So, but the game I want to talk about, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I went on uh, one of my sort of biannual retreats that, that me and the other old Totally Rad Show guys do, uh, where we, we go to a, uh, a friend's uh, a cabin and just play board games for four days. Um, I played a bunch, but I think the big new, the new game that I brought that I hadn't played yet, that I had bought a while back and hadn't played yet, that was a huge hit also applies to this prompt, which is, uh, it works for a large number of people. I think it plays up to eight, maybe, maybe six or eight. Um, and is, is super fun. It's called detective club. And this is a game, uh, sort of in the vein of Dixit or, uh, Mysterium. If you know those games, games that are based on sort of enigmatic art, it has a bunch of cards that have beautiful, 
art that uh, is very non-specific. I mean, it's specific in that it has like it'll have a frog on it or something, but it's sort of abstracty. Not abstract's the wrong word too, but it's sort of you know fantastical. It'd be like a frog in a parachute or you know something. It'd be some kind of strange-looking fantastical image that you can't really pin down as one thing or another. It's just like, Oh, that's a wild piece of art. And there's dozens and dozens of these cards, right? So everybody has a hand of those cards and the one person's turn looks at their hand of cards and picks two of them that are linked in some way. And then writes down a single word that is a clue that links them together. So if you had a, a frog wearing a parachute and you had a dinosaur, you could say uh, green is the word, which is, you know, very broad. Or you could say something like, um, you know, amphibian or you could say whatever you It doesn't matter. It's very word code words or code names. Code, code names. names. Yeah, another great game that works in this category as well. Um, but so, But you're just trying to come up with a single word that links these two cards. And whatever you want. But here's the kicker. You write that word on a notepad. There's notepads that come in the, in the game board. And you write it on all of the notepads except one. And you randomly hand the notepads face down to the players. So every player gets the word except one. There's one player who doesn't know the word. And then... You go around, starting with the person who wrote the words down, and place the first card that is thematically linked. And everybody just silently places their first card that works with that word. Except one person is bluffing because they have no idea what the word is. But they do see the cards that are coming down. So they're looking at this frog in a parachute, and they're like, oh, man. I have no idea what this could be, but I have uh, a horse in a jet. Maybe that's similar. They put the horse and the jet down. What they didn't know is the word was green, and there's nothing green in their uh, in their card. But it goes on like this: and the, one round, and then the second round with the second card. When that is complete, the person whose turn it is, who came up with the word green, says, "Okay, everybody, as we all know." The word was green. And the reason I picked the word green is because the frog is green and the dinosaur is green. And then the next person goes and says, oh, yes, I also knew the word was green, which is why I picked this card and that card. And it goes around like that. And the, the person who's bluffing says, I, too, knew the word was green, which is why I picked this horse in a jet because he is a, a novice fighter pilot, which is another word for green, has to bluff, right? Has to come up on the fly with, why did I put down this card not knowing what the word was? Everybody goes around and then everybody votes on who they think the liar is. And the cool thing about it is that the person who wrote the word initially and the liar are linked. They get points if nobody figures out. So you, as the original person writing the word, you're trying to help the liar figure out the word, even though you can't do it, you know, in any overt way. 
And other people get points if they correctly identify who the liar was. This elicited some of the most hilarious, fun, goofballery because <laughs> I'm, I'm here to tell you folks, even if you are absolutely telling the truth, <laughs> when you start to explain why you put down this card, because invariably you will be looking at your hand of cards and the person's word will be green and you'll be like, there is nothing green on any of my cards. <laughs> I have nothing that applies to this word. So you end up having to put down a card that you know is just barely even. And so when you, even though you're telling the truth, start to explain why you did it, it sounds to everyone else who is attempting to suss out the liar as absolute BS. It just sounds, the word, the truthful words coming out of your mouth sound like BS. And it is very funny and very fun. So I highly recommend Detective Club uh, for groups. Uh, it is an easy game to learn. It is a fun game to play with, uh, uh, with, with large groups and plays quickly. And, uh, you know, it's fun to lie to your friends. So Detective Club is my pick. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up. So stick around for those. But Shane Bailey, thank you so much for being here, man. It's always fun to talk to you. No, it's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me back, guys. Uh, yeah, always a blast to to connect with your community. And yeah, thank you again for, for all of your support uh, with everything we have going on at Game on Cancer. Absolutely. Well, tell folks about that, how they can get involved, how they can find out more, uh, all the stuff that you're doing online. Definitely, yeah. Gameoncancer.com.au is the website to find out uh, everything we have going on. If you'd like to follow along on socials, uh, we are gameon underscore cancer on Twitter and Instagram. Um, for We're in the middle of a really fun campaign at the moment called Holiday Spectacular, doing a bunch of fundraising. I just came off one uh, myself this past weekend where myself and 13 others uh, reenacted all of Halo 2. It was an absolute blast. Um, and we raised $1,000. It was it was really, really fun. Um, and uh, as a bit of a tease for any... Uh, this campaign will only relate to any Australian listeners, um, but we have a, a really exciting one that I'll tease for December. So uh, if you're in Australia and you'd like to support the cause in a really fun way, keep an eye out on our socials uh, so you know how to get involved. Um, and if you'd like to follow along uh, me personally, I am It's Shane Bailey on Twitter. Very cool. Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? I have a newsletter where I write long form about games. It goes out bi-monthly. It's at tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer. I am behind on replying to people. As I mentioned, this past week has been hectic, but I will get back to everyone who has replied. Uh, the last newsletter was about the idea of the live action remake, the animated movie getting the live action remake being similar or different to the video game remake. Um, I feel like we are full of both of those across media, and that's what that last newsletter was about. So again, tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer is where you can subscribe to that. And then this show, we are on threads and Instagram as DLC Hype Train. I'm also there as Christian underscore Spicer, I believe. But this show also is on YouTube where we put up uh, segments, not full VODs, but segments from 
video video version segments of the show, and that is at DLC Pod on YouTube. And videos typically go out on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so you can check those out there. Very cool. Uh, you can follow me on socials. I'm at Jeff Canada with two N's and one T. And I have other shows. Uh, we Have Concerns is a comedy science show. I do, where you can learn something and laugh along the way. I also do the film cast, a show about movies and TV shows uh, with limericks. <laughs> you can purchase limericks from me. Yeah, that's right. I make bespoke limericks for people at cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. And I do a sports show called the Fan Controlled Show. Uh, that's at Fan Controlled Sports and Entertainment. All of that stuff is available wherever you get podcasts uh, across all the different platforms. So check those out. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Shane, do you have something to help people get through their week? I do. It's a film. It's a 2018 Icelandic comedy drama film called Woman at War. Uh, I have fond memories of this film because uh, once uh, my friend and I just went to the cinemas, we didn't know what we were going to watch. We saw this poster for Woman at War and we walked in, didn't know it was a foreign language film and we thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it is it is whimsical. It is really um, creative and imaginative in the way that it uses a lot of the traditional filmic devices. One that I'll cite is uh, it's integration of the soundtrack into the film. It's played by musicians that you see in the film, like their instruments, they are set up on, on different in the, the different sets uh, throughout the course of the film as well. And it does something fourth wall breaking at the very start of the third act that I encourage everyone to watch just for that moment because I'd never seen it before uh, in, in any film. It follows a, a, a female choir uh, sort of teacher and activist in Iceland and um, she's trying to, to take it to, I think, like a Rio Tinto controlled aluminium um, factory uh, at the same time that's all all of that is caught up in this um, pursuit of hers to to adopt to adopt a, a child so um, yeah really interesting premise and just um, fantastic storytelling and uh, different in, in in the best kind of way so that is woman at war I believe it's available to rent on YouTube and, and Apple plus and other services as well very cool very cool Christian Spicer what is your parting gift it is a re-recommendation, and at least it was on sale for Black Friday, and I'm guessing it probably is for Cyber Monday as well. And that is the Backbone One controller attachment for your phone. The USB-C version works with the new USB-C iPhones. It also works you know, on the Android USB-C, or they have the Lightning version if you have an older phone. And so as fourth time, Anthony Taramina mentioned last week, I did cancel my pre-order for the PlayStation Portal. Uh, full disclosure on that, I threw my hat into the ring for like, hey, if you have ones for you know review purposes, I'd love to check it out. And then I saw my pre-order at that time. I did not get one in advance for review purposes. And then when those reviews came out and the hardware teardowns were done, and there's no special magic there. I love that people are <laughs> loving them. I love that people are loving them. But it's just what we all thought it was like it's not a better wi-fi chip it doesn't connect yeah. in some magical way that the devices i all have right now would otherwise connect i was like yeah i don't need this um so i canceled it and leading up to that i had played through probably 
25% of Spider-Man 2 side content via my, I have the PlayStation branded backbone in addition to the regular one, but I played a lot of that side content in Spider-Man 2 with my backbone via remote play. And it's great. Like I'm not hating on remote play. I love that people have the PlayStation portal and more people are embracing that style of play. Love that. For me, that device didn't bring me anything new that I didn't otherwise have. And for folks who are maybe interested in it, you can get into that scene with a with a backbone controller. And what I really like about the backbone controller as well, as while it does not have the PlayStation haptics and all that stuff and the DualSense fancy triggers, you can wire it. So when I travel, it is the only controller I bring, and I play a lot of my gaming you know, via my phone clicked in, but then you can also cable it to your computer or to your iPad or whatever you, you know, not to a console, I wouldn't think, but to your computer and just go in and switch a mode on. And now I use it to play PC games as well with a cabled controller. I think it's very versatile, and at least it was on Black Friday and is often for sale for 65, 70 bucks. It's great. The Backbone One controller, big fan. Awesome. Very cool. Um, my uh, my parting gift is uh, something a little special that I'm doing this year. Um, a, a lot of folks uh, ask me for recommendations of things, ask me what podcasting equipment I use, what my computer components are, board game recommendations I get a, a, often requested. So um, my wife twisted my arm and got me to uh, set up a an Amazon storefront where a lot of the stuff that I like, that I've enjoyed, that I use, uh, I put up uh, on an Amazon storefront. I am getting, uh, I would get uh, commissions for any purchases that you make there, but uh, hopefully people will find this useful enough that they will dig it and buy some of this <laughs> this stuff this way so that I get some uh, benefit from it. Uh, again, it's amazon.com slash shop slash Jeff Canada. Uh, and there's all kinds of categories. Uh, my wife even put up stuff that she likes, um, you know, gifts that, that, that we've given the kids that they enjoy stuff for sensory processing that my, uh, my daughter, uh, has found benefit from, uh, we've got kitchen stuff there. Uh, a lot of the game, the board games that I mentioned this week, uh, uh, detective club with some wagers. They're there, uh, as recommendations, uh, lots of different, um, lots of different stuff. So if you're so inclined, if you're looking for gift ideas, if you want to find out uh, the kinds of things that I would recommend, head over to amazon.com slash shop slash Jeff Canada, and you can check it out. I appreciate it. We also got a listener suggested parting gift. This was sent to us from Jonathan, who writes uh, to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Jonathan said, my parting gift for you is the website Big box collection.com. Remember when video games came in big boxes? Site owner Benjamin certainly does, and he has 3D scanned over 700 boxes from his collection of games, ranging from 1983 to the present. Pan, zoom, and rotate around the Diablo 2 collector's edition you couldn't quite afford at the time, or that original Monkey Island box that your mom decided to deconstruct and throw away sometime in the 90s. You can search by title, year, developer, and Benjamin is adding new boxes all the time. Enjoy the nostalgia trip, and thanks for everything you're putting out into the world. Thank you, Jonathan. I checked this out 
this is a rad website for somebody who's an old like me who uh, I still have a bunch of boxes in my closet that I can't bear getting rid of or parting with. Um, the original Bard's Tale. And the cool thing about this too is that he scans them and he doesn't just slap them on the same geometry. Like the original uh, electronic arts games like Bard's Tale and and um, uh, Hardball and some of the old like old EA games that came in those flat sleeves. If you're old enough to remember, if you know, you know. Uh, it looks like a flat sleeve on this website and you can rotate it around and look at the text on the back. Man, it's a cool throwback to an old wonderful time uh so i really enjoyed checking out bigboxcollection.com thank you jonathan for that parting gift if you'd like to have your parting gift read on our show send it to us dlcfeedback at gmail.com all right that's it for this episode of dlc right as my voice is about to give out (laughs) thanks again to Shane Bailey and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for the awesome bumpers. Our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. You can get DLC Swag at dlcswag.com, which was created by Jesse J. Anderson. Our biggest thanks are reserved for our patrons who make this show possible. Very much so. We would not be here without the patrons at patreon.com slash dlcpod. Thank you, folks, for supporting us. Our hype train patrons get their own video game, which Christian and I will do right now. Yes, indeed, Christian. Um, I, I enjoy this part of the show very much because we get to talk about games that maybe you know don't come up in conversation nearly as much as they should, like like the Mark Gowland game. You remember that one? I remember it's big box. I definitely <laughs> remember it's it's big box. I, I was mean, actually absurdly big honestly (laughs) it is the one box that when my parents broke it down and uh you know uh, inevitably put it in the recycle bin who am i kidding back then there was no recycle bin brought it straight yeah to you know the most beautiful place on earth and just littered it there i think is what we did back then um i was actually okay to see it go because so big i had i had a i had i had a single bed you know like a typical little one person kid bed yeah, and the Mark Gallen box was over half of that bed. My, my friends would come over and they'd be like, "You got the Mark Gallen stand up?" I'm like, "That's not the stand up. That's the box. That's like, the that box. is yeah. That's yeah. You remember the box, the box that Steel Battalion came in? <laughs> it was even bigger than that. Yeah, I mean that box was tiny in yeah. comparison. And so I was and reading the, the back of the box. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. The weirdest thing about the Mark Gallen's, uh, you know, in, enormous uh, packaging was that uh, just a single three-and-a-half-inch floppy disk in there. Yeah. I mean, well, games were much smaller back then, but yeah. you wanted to have that. What was important is to have the retail I mean, space. I got the, yeah, you know? exactly. They wanted the big presence in the Babbage's, you know? Yeah. yeah. You walked in, and it's like, oh, they got it. And, and again, I was the same like my friends. I thought it was the standee advertising the game. You know, people right. might remember, like, the big Killer Instinct or the Mortal Kombat, like the Raiden big cardboard standout and you'd run over there and be like, they got it. And then you'd ask the employee, you'd be like, where's, where's the game? And they'd be like, that's, that is it. That's, that's the game. It. Yeah. It was awesome. It I was remember when I, awesome. When I, I, um, I saved up, I collected cans and uh, recycling cans to, to buy, uh, the Gowland. And, uh, I, uh, I remember I had to also save up to, to buy a U-Haul to, uh, get it from the store to my house. <laughs> 
It was big. As big as what I'm saying. It was big. Yeah, it was it was really big. And I remember the catchphrase too on the box. And it was uh like Mark Gowland weighs less than a gallon. And I was like, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. But like they were like, you know, it was like light to carry, but it felt yeah. like a little bit of a stretch, which the box was a big stretch. It was yeah. very big. It was like he wears a 10 gowland hat. <laughs> <laughs> which again, a 10 gallon hat tiny in comparison, in comparison to the size to the, it's just a huge huge box <laughs> i am i am I, I i should say though i was talking about like remembering it from when we were little i do think it is awesome what people are doing with the boxes now there's yeah. someone over on tiktok and they built their whole entire family's house <laughs> yeah yeah like one of those it's like a container like you know prefab like you see it in dwell magazine and yeah. stuff like now and i was like this is beautiful and sure enough under the photo it said constructed entirely of well, a Mark Allen It's box. nice. <laughs> if you've noticed that people are actually um, doing those next to each other, they call it, uh, <laughs> they call it, uh, you know, they call it uh, Gow Land. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the place where they all live together uh, out of, uh, from those boxes. They call it. I should, uh, be, I should be clear, though. I have no clue what the game was like. Like, no, no idea. No, no, memory uh, no, of it no. Whatsoever. No. Um, the box, though. Huge. Huge I, the game I game I do remember though is the Jimmy Radcliffe game. You remember the remember remember Radcliffe? Don't you mean Radcliffe? Yeah. How oh, could you yeah. forget? It was so, it was so eighties, like so eighties. All the cliffs were so rad. You know, I I thought it was the video game version of Rad the movie, and oh. I was like, heck yes, finally a BMX game. It wasn't. I mean, it was Radcliffe's instead of yeah. Rad. BMXing, but well, do you remember? Um, did you ever play California games? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, tiny box. Epics, by the way, tiny ep- box. Yeah, tiny box. Well, <laughs> mid size. Let's be honest, mid size. Um, the Epics made California games. Oh no, 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 no! I'm thinking of World Games. I played a game oh. called World Games. Still Epics, still same company. World Games had uh, had had like um, um, saber toss. And um, so a bunch of other things that you would find as like, you know, very specific to regions of the world. Well, in Br- the Brazil section of world games, they had cliff diving. And uh, I felt like the Radcliffe game was just sort of like trying to uh, try to just just have one section of world games and build it out into its an entire game, you know? Yeah, but then, I like, never knew with a twist with a rad twist. I say I never knew World Games existed because why would I care about regular cliff diving when I yeah. could rad cliff dive? Like no, hey, yeah. do you want to go loser dive or do you want to yeah. rad cliff dive? Like I'm definitely rad cliff. No, diving you're right. Every time, um, rad rad cliff did to cliff diving what Tony Hawk's pro skater did to skateboarding. You know, yeah, it, like and and I don't want to say that it you know GTA owes its legacy to Jimmy Radcliffe. <laughs> yeah you do i, I but would I, second that I, I do remember that you had to like <laughs> jimmy open the fence to get into the rack yeah no yeah you would jimmy uh you would you would it, it, there was a lot more stealing of things in that game than you would expect in a cliff diving game you know you had to yeah. steal a lot of things <laughs> which is weird because to cliff dive all you need really is a pair of swim trunks, but you That's steal. That's like your escape route, though. 
Yeah. You did Jimmy the Lock Open and then run from the guards as your wanted five stars. A lot of GTA. That's really yeah. took a lot no, from it. No, I think GTA still, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it was uh, it was a different time. Some might like, say that GTA Jimmy the idea. <laughs> <laughs> It was very, it was it was cool how you got you would like jump off the cliff and then you know like do a guitar solo in the middle of the air and you're like what? <laughs> and anyway. to be fair the box too it can't, <laughs> I can't stop I feel like Jimmy Fallon uh the the box was like a goldfish from a fair it was just in cliff water <laughs> it just had this little this little it was CD in, in cliff this little water is that what you said. Because cliff water is a thing that we all know that you're referencing. Cliff water. <laughs> this is my favorite part of the show. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, it's all because of our patrons. Thank you, Hype Train patrons. If you want to have your video uh, game created by us, you would think we spend hours doing this based on the results that you get. But no, no, no. We're improvising it in real time. You... <laughs> You can uh, become a patron at patreon.com slash DLC pod. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.